0: Stop.
1: Buongiorno, buenos dias, ni hao, konnichiwa, motherfuckers. What's good, everybody? Welcome to Abacabu Cafe, the English-language Kimagure Orange Road podcast. I'm your host for today and every day. You're not getting rid of me. My name is Jason Almy. I want to welcome everybody to this fine episode, and an important episode, because today we're going to be discussing OVA number eight, Message in Rouge. This OVA was originally released On January 18th of 1991, it was directed by Yoshinaga Naoyuki, who previously directed the two Heart on Fire Spring is for Lovers episodes, those two OVA. This is going to be the final episode directed by Yoshinaga, so he made a contribution of those three OVA, and this one is particularly important. Today's episode was written by Terada Kenji. Of course, this is the 23rd episode that we've discussed written by Tarada across the television series as well as the OVA. He has been prolific writing this series. I don't need to tell you that at this point. His most recent work was also on the Heart on Fire episodes. So the first question I ask myself at the opening of this episode is, when the hell is this taking place? According to the liner notes that are on the discotheque Blu-rays currently, they came from the Animego liner notes of the 90s, this takes place after the television series, after episode 48, which I simply refuse to believe. It's hypothetically possible, but I don't see it as being very plausible that this would take place after episode 48, especially since in episodes 47 and 48, Ayuko was set to leave to go visit her father in America for an undisclosed amount of time. We don't know when she was going to come back. Now, according to Kosuga's opening voiceover, this episode takes place in autumn. The only autumn that we see in the anime series is the fall of 1987. This could not have possibly occurred during any autumn prior to 1987 because Kasuga had not yet moved to town. He actually moved to town in spring of 87. So this could not be any year before 87. In order for this to take place in any autumn after 1987, it would have to be after episode 48 which takes place in the late spring of 1988. So I think it's unlikely that this episode takes place after 48. And I think this episode is best viewed prior to watching the conclusion of the anime television series. Kosaka's voiceover mentions that Ayukawa's father returned after a long time away. We're not really told what's a long time. Is it three months? Is it a year? We know that Aiko's family left Japan for the United States. They permanently relocated to the United States in episode 12 in late June of 1987. So he could plausibly be returning to Japan after moving to America in late June of 87. In the fall of 87, that would be sometime later, particularly in the life of teenagers. A few months feels like a long time when you're younger. One reason I have a hard time viewing the events of this narrative as occurring after episode 48 is that Shikaru is still chilling with Kasuga. She's still calling him darling and shit. She's still clinging all over him. If this were to take place after the end of episode 48, then Ayukua's bitterness towards men makes even more sense because she kissed Kasuga in episode 48 at the very end. And if he's still letting Shikaru hang all over him at this point, I think Ayuko is going to have more beef with him than she does in this episode. The narrative begins with the gang being invited to a concert of Mr. Ayukua's He's there in Japan to put on a concert, and I always thought he and his wife worked for the same orchestra so they would at least tour together, but that doesn't seem to be the case. He's touring without his wife, importantly, so after months of neglecting his teenage daughter, who routinely acts out by smoking, drinking, hanging out in nightclubs, and getting into gang brawls, he's finally back to spend five minutes with her and deliver the killing blow to her faith in men. After opening with an establishing shot of the city skyline, we cut to an image of the gang in a hallway. It's a fairly standard establishing shot, but the camera placement in the hallway shots is interesting. Now, Koska is unfortunately wearing a super late 80s, early 90s double-breasted suit. It's god-awful. Don't buy double-breasted. Why would you do that? Don't ever do that. Please don't ever do that. If you can hear my voice, don't buy a double-breasted suit. I don't know why they still sell the things anymore, and it shouldn't be legal. Don't buy a double-breasted suit. When Ayukua exits her dad's dressing room to join the others, we get this long pan from her toes all the way up to her head, and it's meant to impress on us how she's dressed up, how important it is for her to see her dad, the importance of the evening. It's reflected in how she has comported herself here. The slow pan is intended to extend the audience's impression of her. The filmmakers want us to take note of the way she's dressed, It's not Ayukua's sexiest look, but it's appropriate for a formal concert. She looks adult. She looks grown up. She's got this smart suit on with a skirt and heels, and yet her hair is pulled to the side in kind of this side ponytail. It's a style that we only ever see her wear in this scene, and it looks like a young girl's hairstyle. This works as a visual metaphor for Ayukua and the themes this episode will center on, Despite her mature, sophisticated persona, which makes Kasuga so insecure in the early episodes, she's still a young person, finding her way in the world, and her father is still an important figure in her eyes. In a lot of ways, she's still his little girl, and that's reflected in her hairstyle in this scene. In a subsequent shot, we even see Ayukua beaming as she clings to her father's arm, in almost the same way that Shikaru was just clinging to Kasuga's arm in the previous shot. There's a little bit of parallelism here. For the filmmakers to draw that parallel, having Ayukua behaving like Shikaru, which never happens, Shikaru is established as the less mature one of the two, it could only be to draw attention to Ayukua's relationship with her dad and how she's still his little girl. As jaded and cynical as she can be about men sometimes, none of that applies to her father yet. During the hallway shots, the camera is placed low. And it's on the other side of some stanchions that are seen. They're out of the field of focus. They're too close to the camera. But this mise en scene is deliberate. I mean, somebody has to animate these stanchions and then add them to the shot. And, of course, whenever there's objects in the foreground that sort of obscure our view of the characters and the action... It always gives the impression of voyeurism, as if we, the audience, are seeing these events through the eyes of some witness there. Someone looking around the corner or something peeping in on the group. This technique is often used to communicate tension, build tension, or or communicate danger. But here, the purpose of these foreground objects is primarily to obscure Mr. Ayukula's face when he also exits the dressing room. It contributes to an air of mystery around Mr. Ayukawa. We, as the audience, don't ever get to see his face. Interestingly, it's sort of like Soichiro in uh, Mizonikoku. Other characters get to see his face, but they don't show him to us, the viewer. It makes me wonder why. I mean, Kasuga Takashi is often depicted. He takes part in many episodes. And we get to see full view of his face. We're very familiar with uh, Kasuga Takashi. But... Why not show us Mr. Ayukua? All of the other characters would have seen his face just now. Kasuga, Shikaru, undoubtedly Shikaru's seen his face many times growing up with Ayukua. But why aren't we privy? Now, I speculate that it has something to do with keeping Ayukua's inner world and private life somewhat shielded from the audience. There's always this little bit of mystery around Ayukua, and uh, we experience it as an audience in much the same way that Kasuga experiences this mystery around Ayukua. Komatsu, idiot, expresses relief when Mr. Ayukua speaks Japanese. This fact has caused some people to speculate that uh, he's actually a foreigner, because if he was Japanese, then Komatsu surely would not be surprised by him speaking Japanese, right? What's less shocking than a Japanese person speaking Japanese language? Also, if Ayukua were half Japanese, then... This could explain why she was bullied when she was younger, as we see in episodes 47 and 48. But in my opinion, it's not a very good hypothesis. First and probably foremost, his damn name is Ayukawa. It's a Japanese name. Second, Komatsu is an idiot. The filmmakers know it. We ought to know it by now. We've seen enough episodes of him making a fool of himself. There are many gags that are made at his expense because he's so stupid. And this is one of them. The joke is that Komatsu is so dumb that he expected Mr. Ayukua to forget Japanese due to his considerable time abroad. So I don't think that we should believe that a man named Ayukua is a foreigner just because Komatsu said so don't take his word for it. During the concert, Shikaru leans into Kasuga, just as he's admiring Ayukua, actually. Ayukua is in the foreground. She's out of focus, which communicates to us that she's oblivious to what's going on with Shikaru and Kasuga. She's not really a part of this sequence, but Kasuga is aware of her. Kasuga and Shikaru are in focus. Kasuga has this silent freak out because he gets nervous that Ayukua is going to see Shikaru leaning all over him. But of course, he can't make a sound due to the concert. So it's 100% visual, just him freaking out. His eyes get all wide, but he does it completely silently. And it's kind of a cool sequence. It's kind of a nice visual sequence. Now, our real conflict begins when Ayukua witnesses what looks very much like her daddy making out with his protege. Somehow the protege notices that Ayukuwa was at the door despite having her back to it. She's winking, so that, of course, foreshadows the explanation for these events. And next we cut to an all-too-common who-the-fuck-invited-these-guys story element in this episode. Komatsu and Hata are literally hollering at women. They're just yelling at any woman that passes by, standing on the street corner, just shouting at every female that passes by. By the third time... The women are running past them to get by quickly. On the one hand, Komatsu and Hata are idiots. They never learn to tailor their approach to be more subtle. On the other hand, you have to admire their persistence, right? These guys fail every time. It's not like this ever works, but they keep trying. Shikaru directs the audience's attention to their poor behavior. You really shouldn't be standing there in a suit after a formal concert just yelling at women. She expresses that they're the lowest form of scum. She can't believe that Kasaga is friends with them. Honestly, I can't either. Those guys are total dicks to Kasuga too. I can't believe he even talks to them anymore. There's really no explanation for Hata and Komatsu being in the opening scene of this episode. There's really no reason for them to be there. Who would have invited them? The invitations would have come from Ayukawa. It's her father's concert. She would have invited Kasuga. She would have invited Shikaru. She would have invited the twins way before she thought to invite Komatsu and Hata. She has no reason to invite those two. There's really no reason for them to be there, except the story needs them there for expository reasons. Their poor behavior has a purpose in this episode. As usual, it's really the only two reasons these characters exist. They serve some expository purposes. Here, they reinforce Ayiko's poor outlook of men following what she thought she witnessed her father doing with his protege. Komatsu and exemplify these base male instinct. They're proof that all men are dogs. They're only interested in sex. And they exemplify this in Ayukua's eyes. So Ayuko is back on her episode four, Men Are Shit Tip, and she just bounces despite having dinner plans with the rest of the gang. She just leaves. They all notice and... Even the typically clueless Hoten Komatsu can tell that she's not in a great emotional space. Shikaru is the only one who really doesn't notice Ayukua's vibe and instead thinks that Ayukua is doing them a favor by leaving her alone with Kasuga so that they can get it on. Shikaru jokingly asks Kasuga not to do too much risque stuff to her which is interesting, especially here in this episode. It makes Kasuga seem like the sexual aggressor and it makes her seem very passive in any sexual activity that goes on as if it's something that Kasuga does to her rather than a mutual activity that they both engage in. So it might be a cultural framing of men as being the ones with the sexual urges and desires and the the females have to be passive because it would be improper for her to seem as if she also wants the sexual activity. It harkens back to some of the masculine feminine stereotypical qualities that Casuga muses over in an unexpected situation. But it's also funny too, because Casuga never lays a finger on Shikaru, not here or elsewhere. She is always the one grabbing him, hugging on him, clinging on him, leaping into his arms. She always initiates physical contact with Casuga, but she's asking him not to do too much sexy stuff to her. Clearly, it's meant to be a joke. She doesn't think that Kasuga is a sexual aggressor or a predator in any way. Now, with Ayukua back at her house, we hear that her sister is present. Now, her sister would have been married off and hypothetically gone to live with her husband at the beginning of episode 12 of the television series. So it's not common for her to be there at the Ayukua household hypothetically she lives somewhere else now we don't see her throughout the rest of the television series after she got hitched up in episode 12 we see a younger version of her in episode 47 but but we don't see her again in the present and uh so i wonder maybe she was there for a visit to coincide with her father's like her dad's coming back to japan for a concert he's going to be around a couple of days she'd like to spend time with the old man who paid for the wedding so she's hanging around the house it's something that I would do. I'd go visit my family if I haven't seen them in a while, even as a married adult who lives elsewhere. It always struck me that the Ayukua house is so large. And given that uh, Mr. and Mrs. Ayukua, the parents don't live there, it wouldn't be crazy for Ayukua's sister and brother-in-law to live there too. It seems like there's plenty of space and Asian cultures especially tend to be pretty accepting of families living together, even adult children tends to be the West that sort of views it as weird when the adult children still live with their parents, but, but it doesn't seem like it would be that odd. And yet there's no evidence from the television series that Ayuko's sister and brother-in-law continued to live in the Ayuko household. What throws me off even more is that a few moments later, Ayuko's older sister asks if there was a message on the answering machine from her boyfriend. And That's a little weird because she ought to have a husband right now. Again, by the autumn of 1987, Ayuka's big sister was married. Is it possible Ayuka's sister could have been divorced and already dating somebody else by the time this takes place? Doubtful. There are no details given. My ultimate conclusion here is that it's a little bit of a continuity goof, which Honestly, this episode is written by Taraka Kenji. He really ought to do better than this. I mean, Taraka Kenji is written like 90% of Orange Road. He really ought to know that he married off Ayukua's sister in 1987. Now, we do get a scene of Ayukua stripping down to her undies and changing clothes, but this is not fan service because this is a meaningful shot. Her bed appears in the foreground. Again, it's out of focus, just like those stanchions were in our earlier shot, but we can still tell what it is, and, and it's there for a reason. It's included in the shot for a reason. It's a reminder of the adult sexual themes of this episode. That's where the sex takes place, usually. Also important is the framed photograph on Ayukua's desk. It's to the left of the image. It's a photo of the Ayukua family, and it's going to feature prominently in this episode. And there's an effective use of silence in this scene, where Ayukua is alone in her room. There's no background background. Music needed. Usually background music is used in Orange Road to help set the mood for a scene. And here, it's not necessary. When Ayukua notices the photo, she lays it flat. We see just enough detail to know that Mr. Ayukua has his hand on uh, Ayukua Madoka's shoulder as she stands in front of him. This little detail implies that they favor each other. There's some meaningful bond there, this daddy-daughter thing. He's got his hand on her shoulder. She's looking so happy to be standing right there in front of him. It's kind of lovey and cuddly. She lays the photo down. She doesn't want to look at it. And the silence here in this scene helps to underscore this visual drama that we're watching unfold. And it really helps us sit with Ayukua here in in her current feelings of betrayal and abandonment. Ayukua remains silent as she listens to a voicemail from her mom asking whether Mr. Ayukua played his daughter's favorite at the concert. It's another hint that Mr. Ayukua has a very close relationship with his daughter. They've got a cute daddy-daughter thing going. When Ayukua learns that her dad is staying in a hotel near the concert hall that night, she just decides to bounce. She's probably assuming that he's shacked up with his protege, and that's why he's not coming home to spend time with her. Another small scene at the Kasuga residence provides us with a little bit more exposition that's going to be important. Kasuga is going to be home alone that night because... His sisters and father are leaving. They're going somewhere. They never tell us where they're going. It's not important. What's important is that they're getting out of the house. They're not going to be in anyone's hair. Adios. This is a fact that Ayukua does not likely know, although it's not impossible that one of the twins mentioned it to Ayukua at some earlier time prior to this episode taking place. So perhaps Ayukua knew that Kasuga would be home alone, but but there's no indication that she did know. So when Ayukua comes to visit Kasuga, we can... Imagine that she expects the rest of his family to be there. Ayukua is still silent when we watch her apply some makeup before writing a message on her mirror with the makeup. uh, Before grabbing a suitcase to leave, she writes this brief farewell message in lipstick on her mirror. It reminds us of the very famous artwork by uh, Takara Kemi, where Ayukua is standing in front of her mirror with a lipstick message scrawled across it. And here we see themes of Of growing up in the context of losing one's illusions of adulthood and the adults you've spent your childhood looking up to. At some point, your parents become real people that have flaws, that do things wrong, that don't always know what they're doing. Ayukua is no longer sheltered from the less uh, savory personal attributes of adults. She realizes that her parents are flawed, they're human, their relationship might not be perfect. The background music returns when Ayukua has left her house. We see some leaves blowing in the wind, and this is the first real visual indication that this might actually be happening in the fall. We're left to wonder where Ayukua might be going. But an establishing shot of the 99 and a half stairs and then a cut to Kasuga wishing Ayukua would, would come by is a pretty good indication that she's headed his way. Kasuga mentions that it's a holiday weekend. Hard to tell which one, Maybe the autumnal equinox. That would help us to place these episodes' events within a calendar year, but again, it's not super important. But when the doorbell rings, the audience expects it to be Ayukua, as much as Kasaga does. He gets his hopes up, but it turns out to be Hata and Komatsu. It's a little bit of a subversion of our expectation. The fact that Komatsu is holding up a girly magazine furthers the theme of men as dogs. These two idiots drag Kosuga into an elevator mere seconds before we see Ayukawa climbing the stairs in a single shot. It's a very effective way to show us that she just missed him. It's also meaningful that Kosuga's apartment is the first place Ayukawa goes. This would certainly play out differently now in the age of cell phones, but it really helps to enhance the nostalgia factor for an old-timer like me. I remember what it was like before cell phones when you had to just go places and hope people were there, hope they were open. Now, Aikawa grows tired of waiting for Kasuga to return, so she begins to leave him a letter, but she stops, almost like she doesn't know what she wants to say or how to say it. So it it makes it seem like she came to Kasuga's apartment to say goodbye in person, but couldn't wait any longer, hence the note. We next see Ayukua climbing the 99 and a half stairs. Is this after she left Kasuga's apartment? It doesn't make much sense because his apartment is at the top of the 99.5 stairs. So if she was leaving, she should be descending the stairs. And yet she's walking up them. She's following Kasuga's initial trajectory up the stairs from episode one. She's walking in his footsteps. And importantly, she's counting the stairs just like he did in episode one. Apparently, it's her first time doing so since she met Kasuga, and she realizes that he's right about there being 100. This little detail, it's not just there to prove that Kasuga can be right sometimes and Ayukawa can be wrong sometimes, but it's, it's there to show us that some of Ayukawa's initial assumptions that, that she began the anime series with are going to turn out to be wrong. They're going to be subverted and reversed in this episode. And one of those is she assumed there were 99 stairs. She's wrong. There are 100. Casuga's right. I'll talk more about some of her other attitudes that get reversed in this episode as we get towards the end. Here at the top of the stairs, she sees a vision of Casuga catching her red straw hat. She's obviously fondly thinking back on the day she met him. She smiles a really genuinely joyful smile. It's not wistful or sad, but then Casuga fades away. So it turns out that Ayukua killed time. I guess she walked up and down those stairs a few times, waiting for Kasuga to return. It was simply too important that she see him before going wherever it is she's planning to go. Now, when she learns she's alone with Kasuga, she makes a joke about it being dangerous for her, again framing men as these sexual aggressors and subtly reflects her current attitude about male sexuality. It shows a bit of her current distrust for men in a comment that she Plays off as a joke, but might be a little serious. A moment earlier, Ayuko was having this fond flashback, idealizing Kasuga, and then the next moment, she's distrusting him. There's a little bit of complexity here, and it mirrors her current relationship with her father, what she's got, got going on internally now. She loves him and idealizes him. He's this ideal man in her eyes, but also, he's a man. He's male. That means he's a predator and a dog, and she can't entirely trust men, especially right now. We see that duality of relationship in Kasuga as well, because that's another male relationship that's very important to Ayukua. It's here that I ask myself, did Ayukua get dressed up before running away because she knew that she was going straight to Kasuga's? And why go to Kasuga anyway? All men are dogs, right? Why not go to Shikaru, who she could trust more? There is a reason that she went to Kasuga, and I'm going to touch on that momentarily. But for now, she and Kasuga are playing newlywed couple. Kasuga never reads the newspaper, and there he's buried in the newspaper pretending not to be watching Ayukawa as she cooks dinner for them. It's another parallelism because she was supposed to have been cooking that same dinner for her father, but she's now making it for Kasuga. Kasuga imagines them as newlyweds in a cutaway that looks similar to his flashback of Yusaku and Ayukua bathing together from episode six. It has this hand-drawn quality, and it's a bit childish. It's meant to be cute and maybe even show a little bit of Kasuga's childish naivety. It's supposed to reflect his idyllic view of what a newlywed life with Ayukua would be like, and so it's very appropriate stylistically. Ayukua asks Kasuga if she can really stay over. Now she's spending the night. Ayuko is driving everything. She's chasing Kasuga. And for his part, he's behaving like a gentleman despite his ongoing attraction to her. He provides her with a private room and he doesn't come on to her. He doesn't put on any pressure on her to do sexual stuff with him. He makes her completely at home and he wants her to feel welcome and, and completely at ease. And not just so he can do sexy stuff with her. This scenario is like a continuation of the end of episode 5. That's the episode where Ayukua drunkenly asked if she could crash at Kosaka's house that night. She wanted to go home with him at the end of episode 5. And here, a bottle of Hennessy even makes an appearance. We get another interesting shot. The mise-en-scene is interesting in this episode, in which the camera is positioned low to the ground. It shows Jingaro jumping up over the camera and then knocking the phone off the receiver. the, the, The phone handset falls into the frame and is shown dangling there from our low, low vantage point as if we're laying on the floor with our head on the ground. We were low, low, low. Even Jingoro in the frame seemed to tower over us. As they begin drinking, Kasuga asks Ayukua again if she's feeling okay. Now, Kasuga is always pretty empathetic. We see that a lot throughout this show. He seems clued in on how other characters are feeling, especially Ayukua. He's got a good sense of when she's feeling off. And this demonstrates that his concern for her emotional state outweighs his sexual desire for her. Someone with a more uh, predatory outlook might keep his mouth shut and just encourage Ayukua to keep drinking and drinking and drinking so that he could do sexy stuff with her after she was drunk. But. Here, Kasuga really is putting Ayukua first as a person before any ulterior motives. Kasuga has no ulterior motives. Now, when Kasuga says that she doesn't seem like herself, Ayukua asks him if he thinks that people have different sides to them. She could be obliquely referencing his simultaneous relationship with herself as well as Shikaru, the love triangle, but she says usual selves. That connotes the idea that we have a a side of ourselves that we normally demonstrate, the part of ourselves that we put forward for the world to see. But then there's that other side of us, the small part of us. Maybe that's the part that acts out, the things that we keep private, sort of like her father. He has this persona as a family man, the patriarch of the Ayukua family, a happily married man with two daughters. But maybe there's this other side to him, this side that goes after young protégés who are vulnerable, who might be easily coerced into a sexual relationship with them. What Ayuku is realizing here is that people aren't always one thing. People aren't simple. People are nuanced. People are multifaceted. Even the people she depended on her whole life, like her father. And growing up, she probably didn't view her father as being multifaceted, as having more than one side as having a personality that he uses when interacting with her and then yet another personality that Aiko wasn't privy to that maybe he only displayed when he was going after a young protege. Her question about people having sides reflects that she's grappling with the knowledge that her father may be imperfect or flawed. I also wonder here, is she testing Kasuga or is she acting out? Will Kosiga redeem men in her eyes or Is it Ayukua thinking that maybe she should have some fun too? Have a fling. Her dad can do it. Why not she? My opinion is that this whole setup, going to Kasuga's, it was a last chance for the redemption of the male sex with Kasuga as a kind of a savior figure. For instance, she mentioned that she was there at a dangerous time. By that, she acknowledges the opportunity for Kasuga to make some sexual pass at her. That makes it feel like a test. She even invites him to drink with her. Honestly, that's how people get pregnant. She is steering their progress for that evening more and more towards a potential sexual activity. Hell, Ayuko even passes out drunk. That's the culmination of the test. Kasuga behaves. He's not even tempted to take advantage. At this point, his suspicions are confirmed. There's something wrong with Ayukua. We get an example of the Kuleshov effect here. We see Kasuga, and he's looking down at Ayukua. He's got this concerned look on his face. And then we cut to Ayukua, a close-up, and we see a tear rolling down Ayukua's cheek. That communicates to the audience that Kasuga is noticing that detail just as we're seeing it. Now, as Kasuga is learning of the misunderstanding, Ayukua hangs up the line. She's awake again after being passed out only moments ago. Seems unlikely. Ayukua calls him Kyosuke at this point, maybe the first time ever. Why does she do that? It shows a degree of familiarity with him that she hasn't previously exhibited. Still playing the newlywed game, maybe? Maybe still trying to elicit some sexual contact with Kosuga. Perhaps. It's at this point that Kosuga then gently encourages Ayukua to go home. Initially, she responds kind of defensively. But once he gets her eyelash, she understands. She thought Kasuga was about to make a move on her. And to a third person, it would even look like he was kissing her. As demonstrated by the camera positioning, we get a cut to behind Kasuga. He and Ayukua are lined up in the frame, and it does look like he's laying a kiss on her, even to the audience. They appeared to be kissing thanks to the editing. But it's here that Ayukua gets it. Whether or not she meant this as a test, Kasuga does wind up redeeming men in her eyes. Kasuga encourages her to believe that her parents are good. He provides her with a counterpoint to her earlier cynicism, and he gives Ayukua a reason to trust people. Ayukua says that she believes Casca no matter what, which shows her faith in him. I think maybe here Ayukua resolves to believe that even if people aren't perfect, they can still be good. Her father's a good person. Her father loves her. Maybe her father's not perfect, but at least at this point, she feels fairly confident that he wasn't making out with his protege and cheating on her mother in his dressing room. One final scene with Shikaru undercuts Kasuga's redemption a little bit, though. Shikaru jokes that he was with Ayukua the whole time, which is true. It provides a little fake-out for the audience. He laughs it off, and then Shikaru admits that she was joking. In his voiceover, Kasuga even says that he got out of that one by laughing. But Shikaru was right to wonder how Kasuga knew that Ayukawa was on her way home. Shikaru was right to accuse Kasuga of spending that time with Ayukawa. So was Shikaru just letting him off the hook here? Was she faking being oblivious? A knowledge of, of the plot of Anahi, we might assume that she was calling him out and then backing off and pretending to be joking here. Either way, at this point, Kasaga is still not being honest with Shikaru about his feelings toward Ayuka, which are very clear to him at this point. In short, he's being shady in a way that contrasts his speech to Ayukawa. He's not a dog in this case because he's not going after Shikaru sexually, but he's still this people pleaser who doesn't want to hurt Shikaru. Not yet, at least. In our final scene, Ayukawa sets her family portrait back upright. It symbolizes her restored faith in her father and in her family unit, and then she goes off to join them for dinner. The camera pans up slowly. It shows us a close-up of the family portrait with Ayukua in the center. She's surrounded by her family in the composition. The image fades to black before we see her parents' faces. It preserves that anonymity of her folks. In the photo, Ayukua is sporting her tomboy look and a very similar character design to the younger Ayukua that we see in episode 47. So the photo was probably taken around that time. And I think here in this OVA, the autumnal season is meaningful. The carefree days of summer are over. Ayuka is now being confronted with hard truths about adulthood and about the adults that she's relied on her whole life. The leaves are dying. The weather is changing. It's symbolic of getting older, which is happening here. Ayuka is becoming less idealistic, less hopeful about the nature of people and the world. The fall reflects Ayukua's quiet and reflective mood in this episode. This OVA is notable for the complete absence of the power. Only this episode and the film Anoshi disregard the ESP entirely. This OVA is also notable for revisiting and ultimately resolving some themes from early in the television series. We pick back up on the what if Ayukua crashed at Kasuga's place to see how it actually plays out with Kasuga ultimately proving that he's a gentleman. Ayukawa initially asked to spend the night at Kasuga's in episode 5, partially as a response to learning that Shikaru had stayed there all night recently, almost like Ayukawa was trying to get on even footing with Shikaru. But here, Kasuga demonstrated that he really did behave himself when Shikaru was over. He is capable of being a gentleman even when a young girl spends all night at his apartment. Additionally, This episode helps to resolve Ayukua's feelings about men lying when it's advantageous for them to do so. She has assumed that men are deceitful. Starting with episode number four, number five, men take advantage of any opportunity to benefit them, especially with regard to sex. Akasuga helps her to recognize this bias of hers, and Ayukua comes to terms with how that bias causes her to make harmful assumptions about the men in her life. Because this OVA goes full circle on many of Ayukua's earliest issues from the TV series, I think it's excellent to watch it just before watching the final episode of the television show. With the resolution of these conflicts I mentioned, Ayukua is ready to embrace her feelings for Kasuga honestly and openly, and we're going to see that starting next week in TV episode 47. And if you want to embrace your True feelings. For me specifically, please head on over to patreon.com slash team where you can become a patron of team almi podcast studios, the podcast studio that brings you this fun podcast, amongst a few others. You'll get some free swag. I send everybody free swag for becoming a patron. And uh, occasionally throughout the year, as I create more swag, I send it to you. So you'll get stuff from me randomly throughout the year. As I make new stuff, I send it to you stickers, pins, that kind of fun, uh, fun Orange Road related swag. Uh, You'll also get access to Shit Happens When You Party Naked, which is a a Patreon-exclusive podcast, too raw for the regular internet and to be tied to my name. I want to encourage everybody to please check out Creatures of the Night. That's another show that I do with a couple of wild guys, and it's a ton of fun. And uh, I will leave a link to that in the show notes because you need more podcasts to listen to. Fortunately, I got more podcasts for you to listen to. So hit me up. Check out the show notes. I want to say thank you. To everybody who's listened to this episode, thank you for everybody who's listened to the show up to this point. I know we're just a few episodes away from wrapping up the television series. We've got two episodes left. I know it's been a little bit longer between my releases. I used to release once a week, but honestly, I'm at a point in time in my semester, and I just had my second daughter. I'm just like Mr. Ayukua. Actually, watching this episode was real for me because he's got two daughters. He's a a married husband, proud father, two daughters. I am in the same boat as of about a week ago, uh, at least as this episode was released. Maybe you're listening to this in the far-flung future, and my kids are 20 years old now. Who knows? But uh, I did just have my second, so I'm sorry about gaps in between my release schedule. My release schedule has been a little spotty, but I've been spending time in the hospital having a new baby and and doing all of the things that come with having two children now, both of whom are in diapers, both of whom are quite young. But I want to say thank you to everybody. Thank you guys for sticking around. Thank you guys for listening. I really do truly appreciate you from the bottom of my heart. And I got some music for you to listen to this week. So have at it. See you guys next week.